Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to get them out. We're not going to go all over the Bible because what I want to teach you from God's Word is coming from just a couple of verses, and I'm going to park on one. But that verse is so rich in truths that I believe that that one verse will feed us for today. I had such a wonderful time preparing this message as God was speaking to me, in a sense, through His Word and Spirit, just about people like you. And I got excited because of the people that we had up here this morning who are wanting to say, I am publicly committing to tell you that... I want to be a part of your faith family, and I, I, I want you to be a part of my life. That was wonderful. The Houston group, we have a couple here from Spokane. We have a whole group from Pastor uh, Charlie and Pam and Tyler from Tennessee, I think. Is that right? No? Where? Where? Florida. Florida. Same difference? No. Florida. That's all right. My wife was born in Florida, and I met my wife in Florida, and her mom was born in Florida, so they go all the way back about the time of the Seminoles. But anyway, so it's glad to have you and all the rest of you. But now I'd like to park on God's Word. It's not about announcing upcoming events. It's not about the energy of activity. It's our time now to really center down, God, what do you want me to believe? And because of that, how do you want me to live? So let's pray. Father, we want to kind of power down a moment from our own personal energy and excitement. Yet at the same time within us is this anticipation of you speaking to us through your word. And so, Father, wherever you speak, wherever we are out of line, we thank you for your grace and mercy to nudge us back to where we should be. And, Father, if we hear something this morning that tells us that we're right on, then we're going to say thank you, Lord, for helping us be there and help us now to stay there. Now, Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this message this morning, Building Community, because of the people coming in, those that are coming in from out of town. And I want to make sure that we see ourselves not as a church of us for no more, shut the door, that we continue our heartfelt desire like we do in Hawaii with the Aloha Spirit, that everyone is welcome. But at the same time, we have to understand what does God mean when he says everyone is welcome and what does it mean to be a part of his faith family or his community? I read a story recently that was told about a man who survived for 20 years on a deserted island by himself, kind of like a Robinson Crusoe type. And when they found him, they were astonished to see what he had done. He had actually done a lot of providing life for 20 years. He was kind of a self-created man. He made his own house. And when they went to this lagoon, they saw this beautiful house that was made. It was his home. And he did it out of all the stuff he found in the jungle and on the island. So this man then took the rescuer on a little tour. And a little bit further down the lagoon, there was this beautiful building made out of wood and it had this huge spire that went up to the sky. And so they asked him and said, what, what is this building? We saw your home, but what is this building? He said, oh, that's my church. And he's the only one on the island. And they thought, well, that's pretty nice. You made this church. I guess you took that over when you, you came, your idea of church. Well, it wasn't too long. They had gone to the other side of the island. And when they got to the other side of the island, there was another very similar building made just like that with a huge spire up to the sky. And they asked him, I said, w- w- what is this building? And he said, oh, this building here? Oh, that used to be my church. And I got thinking about that, how that many times we know in our culture, we know how to build them and we know how to quit them. You know, we kind of go to a church, we don't like something, and then we live. And I think that part of our culture that we really have a hard time committing to things. In marriage, 
Many of you have heard of people that you thought had been married for such a long time and all of a sudden they can build a marriage and unfortunately they quit a marriage. And then people today don't necessarily stay as long in their jobs. And I'm not talking about those that because of the economy were transitioned out, but those that just can never really find themselves. They jump from one school to the next, one job to the next, one relationship to the next. And they carry that same spirit even into how they select their faith families. And so they get into this faith family and they, well, I don't like that, and then they leave. I am so glad that we don't have that here. And for you guests, this is not a, a message with medicine in it to try to heal a church that's struggling with this problem. If anything, it's because as a pastor sometimes I want to give a little bit of vitamins so that when we see others that are affected by that, we can help them because we're a stable group that isn't here one week and gone the next. But you might be thinking, yes, isn't this horrible, the church today, and look what it's doing, and we think the church is just kind of going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. But that's not the case either. Because if we took history and we go all the way back to almost the first church, at least the church during the time of Paul, they had the same problem with a lack of commitment and understanding what church is all about. Some of you kind of remember the story in the early part of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. And here's what he was basically saying to them. That church there was calling out their heroes. I'm of Paul and I'm of Peter and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Christ. I can only imagine how they would present that. They probably said, I'm a Paul. He's been around a long time. He founded this church here. He's the one that really knows how to... He, he's a traditionalist and we want to be just like him. And then you have the next guy who says, no, no, we like Peter. No, Peter's much better than Paul. See, Peter, he really lived with Christ. He knew Christ. He saw Christ do a lot of stuff. So we want to be with Peter because he is really closer to God. And then another group says, no, 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 no. I think it's Apollos. Apollos is kind of the new kid on the block. He's got a lot of culture. He grew up in the Alexandrian uh, uh, influence there. He's got a silver tongue. He really knows how to take and spin the word. We want to be with the new generation of Apollos. And you know what? Paul was speaking to all of that and said, that's not right. We need to bring each other together and to take from each one the giftedness and the uniquenesses of each other because God is building a wonderful symphony in his business of kingdom building and we need to learn that and that doesn't often happen the way that it should in fact churches today they sometimes have the the culture of being maybe what we might call a country club now a country club is one where the people kind of wear the same shirts they do the same things they have all similarities together and they think well if you're just not like us then we really don't want you to be a part of us so we kind of force people to be like us instead of learning from one another and if we don't have a country club type of culture in churches today then we move to the other direction and this is one I haven't heard in a long time and I like this illustration I picked up and it says sometimes we're what we call the city council church and that is that each council member each person is trying to protect their own little turf of what they have and I wonder if that's the case of churches today. Well, I hope that that would not be the case. So let me kind of share with you from the Bible a little bit about what the church is. This is not a full doctrinal expose on ecclesiology, but it is enough there to help us understand what the church is and what it's really not. Well, first of all, the church is not a building. It's a community. Now, that's a key understanding. It's not a building, but it's a community. Now, when you hear, are you going to church, sometimes we think in our mind, are you going to that facility that's on the poly? Are you going to church? We, we have so much bought into that, we think that church is a building. And we spend a lot of time designing architecturally and building our buildings and, and defining it in a special way, just what we like. And we put a lot of money and effort into our building. So all of a sudden, we think that going to church is going to the place where we worship, and so it becomes a place. 
But actually in Scripture, this might really surprise some of you that are new in the Bible. There are 33,000 verses in the Bible and not one time in the Bible does it refer to a church as a facility or as a building. It does use a word that's called a called out group of people. Now in the context that word means believers, but just in general Greek it just means a group of people getting together. A mob could be a church. But for a New Testament church it's a called out group of believers. Now you might be saying, ooh, we need to go back to that New Testament idea and forget about facilities and it's all about people. And I'd like to say that in some ways we probably do need to elevate the commitment to relationships, building, keeping healthy relationships. But the Bible doesn't say thou shall not have a building to meet in. It never says that, so it's okay. Now listen maybe how you can reframe that. We're going to be spending a lot of time, energy, and money on just gutting our kitchen and putting in new cabinets and appliances. But listen carefully. What's a kitchen used for? To provide food. And what do you have food for? Fellowship. And we all know you can't ever have fellowship without food, right? I'm just tongue-in-cheek, okay? But no, when you're doing this, you're facilitating people coming together, raising their comfort, giving them an opportunity to sit down, casual environment, to be able to do some type of connectivity of encouragement or comforting those that have gone through some hard time. So kitchens are important. But besides all of that, cleaning a kitchen, building a kitchen, making the kitchen what it does, you don't do it by yourself. You do it with other people and you're building relationships. We could talk about painting the roof. We could talk about concreting our parking lot. It's not about concrete bricks and mortar. It's about all the people that's connected to the task and the structure, about building relationships. So facilities aren't necessarily bad as long as you put people on top of the facilities. But now let's take it another step further because if ecclesia means a called out group of people, hence a church, then what is our foundation? Now this is key. Now I want you to listen to this. We know in Corinthians, same book we're going to talk about in a moment, that the foundation of the church is really built upon Jesus Christ. And of course, all you great theologians and traditionalists, you're going to say, Amen. And I would say that too. Amen. But sometimes we just throw out the person, Jesus Christ, though we believe he's God and we don't want to ever make less of him. It's more than just the image of Christ that we have. It's who is Christ? What does he do? So maybe take, it's built upon the foundation of Christ, and as broad as Christ would be, think in terms of what really brought us together. When you think of Christ, think of these principles. It's built upon the foundation of Christ being God. It's built upon the principle that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, God, It's built upon the sufficiency and the inerrancy of Scripture because if you don't have correct Scripture, then you have your own manufactured Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. If it's not built upon, watch this, salvation by faith alone, then you've got a religion with Jesus' name thrown in there but not the Jesus of the Bible. And when you throw salvation by faith, then you have to connect this as the foundation upon relationships. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's mercy. So what is our, our church built upon? It's built upon the person of Christ in his work of bestowing grace and forgiveness on us. And Christ who lives inside of us now, he builds off of this foundation that same exuding of forgiveness and grace from him to us, through us, outward to others. That's what builds this wonderful community that we have together. And it's so important. Let me show you something else. It's not just about I have grace or I have forgiveness. I use this as a tool to add value to others. Look at your Bible for a moment or look in the little worship folder in front of you there. I want to read to you a passage of scripture. Now stay with me. It's a neat passage. 
It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now it's interesting, what mind does he want to have in us, and why does he want to have that in us? The verse before it, not after it, before it tells us why. Look at it. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Hmm. So it's not about me, it's about others. Have you ever been around a person who talks all the time about themselves? They always talk about themselves. And finally they realize they've been talking too much about themselves. So they finally think, you know what, I've got to change this. So they say, you know what, I've talked so much about myself. Let's talk about you now. What more do you want to know about me? You know what I'm saying. You've been around people like that. It's more about their interest in their world instead of what the other person is going through. Then the verse says, let this mind be in you. This is cool. He says, look about others' needs, not your needs. You want an example? Look to Jesus. And now he says, I don't only look at the needs of the people. He said, I'm sacrificing my entire life. I became nothing, so to speak, to pay for your sin, even though I'm king of kings, because it's now not about me. It's about you getting your sins paid for so you can become like me and we can all celebrate the Father in heaven. Isn't this wonderful? And that's what church is all about. So we do come together. We do worship him, but we worship him as our model, our example, and our God of being about others. And when we really are doing that, and we focus it to bring those people, watch this, to bring those people to God, then it's all about the big crescendo. Jesus and only Christ is to receive all the glory. What an important part of Scripture here that speaks to all of us. Now the question is, are we going to seek the needs of other people? Now I'm going to give you a practical thought, then we're going to go through four little points, and we'll be done. Practical thought is this. When you go up to people, we, have, we are a church that is friendly. You guests that are here, by the end of next week, you're going to receive a letter from me that will have a survey, an evaluation of our church service. Before the service, during the service, and after the service. I got one on Saturday. came in the mail. I opened it up. They talked about your friendliness, how you greeted them, the joy that you had, how they felt safe in our environment here in our church. And I thought, that is really great. We're good at greeting one another, but I'm crank it up a notch. When you talk to people, instead of just saying, hey, how are you? Where are you from? Why don't you find out what needs do they have? How are you feeling? How are things really going? Start on a surface conversation, but you want to trickle it down to something that you can then find out something about that person that you could either say to encourage them, say to comfort them, or find out something that you might be able to do, watch this, to serve them. Now, some of you are saying, I am so busy, I can't serve everybody that I meet. You might not, but your service could be something that is powerful called prayer. Your service could be, I don't know that I can help you, but you know what? Maybe someone else can help you. So all we're doing as a church is that we're not one of those churches that just throws shell lays on people when they come in. We're the kind of church that does all of that. But then we want to know, what can we do to help you? And find out what it is. We can't solve every problem in the world, but we're there about other people's needs. That's community. Now... Let's go through these. You're going to see the term here. A group of people built upon an uncommon unity, which would be Jesus Christ. We are uncommon because churches and often the world does not do this. So let's look at it. Number one. All right. The church is a divine community. We are divine. I'm going to read the verse, then I'm going to give you the point. Here it goes like. Here's, here's how it goes. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it ends with the phrase, both theirs and ours. It's a divine community. Would you take your pencil and circle the word of God? 
It means the church is not about us. It still is about God. I want to thank the worship team because if you were, if you were listening while you were singing those worship songs, every song that Dawn and the team selected was a song that reflected on the person of Jesus Christ to remind us that coming to church was all about God. It's not about us. It is about Him. Now for some of you that are new to this, do you know that when you have God, Christ now, He is known as the bride. The church would be made up of those who know Christ as Savior. All right, excuse me, Christ is the groom. The church is known as the bride. All right, stay with me. You've got Christ as the groom, although it doesn't refer to Him necessarily as groom, but we are His bride. It does refer to that. We are the bride of Christ. That means that we belong to Him. When I trusted Christ as Savior, He bought and paid me. He brought me into His forever relationship. I am His bride for life, for eternity. I am His bride. And when I think about that, I think about relationships that we have with our brides. We have a, a couple that said their vows again this week, how they made that commitment to one another. In Texas, we have a phrase, if you don't like my wife, you ain't going to like me. I kind of like that phrase. I might pick on Carol a little bit, and I shouldn't, but I might. But nobody picks on Carol. I remember even one of our sons was getting a little frisky. And uh, after a while, you know, you try to, you know, curb that friskiness, and it doesn't happen. He's kind of picking on his mama. So finally I had to come up to him and put my arm around him, squeeze him a little tight so he knew this was a different kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting. And I said, I won't mention his name, I said, I know you're having a rough time with mom right now, but I want you to remember one thing, son. She's not just your mother. She's my wife. I'm going to tell you that worked like a magic wand. He melted right then. He forgot that Carol belongs to me. In a sense. And we belong to God. And how special we are. We're a part of a divine community. Let's go to number two. Because it really gets good at this point. The church is a local community. Often when I talk to people now about coming to become a part of a church, they struggle with the idea of saying, I don't really believe in, the, in a local church that you join. I do believe in local churches, but I don't necessarily believe in a local church that you join. Well, let's look at the Bible verse here. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Circle the phrase, at Corinth. When God created the church... He gave it an address. He didn't say the church in general. He said the church at Corinth, indicating that there's another kind of church at Philippi, another kind of church at Ephesus, another kind of church in Honolulu. So they all have what we might call an address. So he called it by a name. It's not an invisible church. Some people say, I'm a believer in Christ. I'm a part of the invisible church, meaning that it's universal. It doesn't have an address. These are believers made up of uh, people that are believers all over the world. I'm part of the invisible church. And to that, I say that's true. But at the same time, we need to part, be a part of a local church. It needs to have an address. If you're a part of the invisible church, then you give an invisible check to them. And when you go to the hospital, who comes and visits you? An invisible pastor? I don't know how that works. So you do want to have not only the invisible church, you need to have something visible. Now visible is important too because when you now say, I am a part of this faith family, it's more than showing up when you want to show up and not showing up when you want to show up because then you become a guest. You might be called in a, in a street language a visitor, although we don't refer to them as that. You're a guest. But those that are part of the family say, 
I want to be a part of this family. You can count on me. How can I help? It also gives us what we call accountability. God wants us not only to have faith, he wants to see our faith. He not only wants us to say we're committed, he wants us to prove that we're committed to each other, that we're willing to stand up and be counted for. So there's that localness that we need to have. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. By no means. I'm not perfect. When Carol looked at me and she saw me and we got married together, she loved me, she cared for me, she knew that I had flaws. I'm so glad that at the same time, though she saw that I had flaws when we were together 40 years ago, that I didn't stay that same flawed-filled fellow back then, that Carol and her grace and mercy and kindness and prayers and words of encouragement and correction, that together I became a more spiritual individual over the last 40 years. And should I last another 20 years of our marriage, I pray that I am more godly, more mature, more wise, 20 years from now than I am right now. But she didn't leave me because there was flaws. She stayed with me because she loved me. And so we look at each other here. We're not a perfect church. We have a perfect God. And we look at each other and we're going to give each other all the time necessary for God to help us to grow and to become strong because it's in a healthy environment of grace and mercy that we will grow. I tell pastors, and I could tell our pastors this, although they have this, our church is a great church. We're not a perfect church, but we're going to grace this church. And I could look at you and say, we pastors are really pretty good guys. Humbly I say that, but we're not perfect. And all we ask for you is that you'd give us some grace. And together we're going to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. That's a local church. That's when you have sandpaper people that came in carrying their baggage. We smooth out the sandpaper, we unpack that baggage, and we grow for God. That's the Corinthian church. We all hear about how bad they were in 1 Corinthians, but you need to read 2 Corinthians where he commended them because they responded on his rebuke, and then he became a great church. Let's look at number three. Besides just being a divine community, a local community, it became a unique community. Notice what it says here. It says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And I put there in brackets the term holy there because some of you are coming from a Roman Catholic background. And when you read that in the Bible, you start thinking about the Roman Catholic culture that's out there, that if a person meets certain qualifications that happen to be a really great man or woman of God, then they become what they called sainted or they, they go into sainthood. And all of us have been following the saga of what the Roman Catholic Church is choosing to do with a priest by the name of Damien, Father Damien. And so now he will be Saint Damien. And so that to me, I'm, I'm nervous because people will have a skewed view of what it means to be a saint. Actually, Bible clearly teaches. There's no question about it. It's not difficult to refute that kind of thinking that's out there in the religious world. Scripture says, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you were brought into God's forever family, you were then made pure and holy before God. And that's why we put the word holy there. The word saint really means holy. Now some of you look at each other and say, my goodness, they're not very holy over there. Well then you know what? Someone's looking at you and they're saying you're not very holy either. That's all right. It's part of the program of becoming more holy. So a saint here is someone who's trusted Christ as Savior. They're instantly, one time, looked upon by God as being holy. Now the rest of our life, we are to live into that holiness. Let me use this. As a, this is so cool. This is so cool. Watch this very carefully. We're going to let my Bible represent Christ. 
Okay? Let me pick out another piece of paper here. This one right here so you can see it. See this right here? This is going to represent you and me. Okay? Unsaved you and me. Now because I'm here, and this represents me, and I'm a sinner, I'm going to make this really dirty and a real bad sinner here. This is me. And you say, well, you don't have to try that hard. You're already a sinner, Pastor. I know, but I'm a sinner. If I stood before God in my righteousness like this, God's going to look at that and say, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. So religions will tell me, you're right, you're a sinner, so what you need to do now is clean yourself up. Get baptized. Join a church. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Clean yourself up. And God says, hmm, I see now you're much better than you were before, Stan, so therefore, you still have to go to hell. You still can't go to heaven because it's not based on your goodness. All I see is the very best that you have, and the Bible says that's like a filthy rag. And he says, even your best is not good. So now we have Christ. Now, I don't have to clean Christ up because he's already absolutely perfect because he is God in the flesh, perfect. Now, when I trust in Christ, I believe who he is, that he is the Son of God, God in the flesh who died and rose again. I now place, watch this, I place my faith in Christ. Now, I place my faith in him. I have eternal life. Now, when I die, God looks at me and he says, you know what? I see my son. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.